Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, people of all ages, welcome back to the Sticky Floors podcast. I am one of your hosts, CJ, and I am joined again by Mr. Will. And tonight we are going to put our black cards on the line <laughs> by talking about the movie They Clone Tyrone, man, which is uh, the first time that we've talked about a movie that went straight that was straight to netflix right every other movie mm -hmm. we talked about was at least in the movie theater this was yep. right on netflix this is also just interestingly enough the third movie that we we're covering that had jamie fox in it right because mm. we also did uh collateral and any given sunday mm -hmm. no jamie fox is not a contributor to this podcast <laughs> however mr fox <laughs> if you are interested in doing that we would be more than happy to have your support Yes, uh, this is also this is also the second movie that we're doing uh, that features Miss Tiana Paris. So, you know, once again, Miss Paris, you know, Sticky Floors podcast, we're here for you. <laughs> please don't please don't hold our our reviews of the Marvels against us. Uh, I think you'll find that we were much no, more favorable. I told you, I liked her in that man. I, uh, don't put me in that. Uh. I, I told you. I nah, don't her. backtrack now. Nah, don't backtrack now, man. Nah, don't say that now. Nah, nah. You was the main one. You was the main one in pre-production. Don't say that. It's all right. So, so yeah. So we're we're doing we're doing they clone Tyrone. Um, this movie is I think super deep. Um, it's like I said, it's been on Netflix. It's been on Netflix since July. If you haven't seen it, uh, it's still on Netflix now. We are going to go heavy spoilers into it. Starting with the um, the the recap of the movie, um, which well I know you're gonna cover. So once we get done with kind of just a quick overview of what the movie's about, we're gonna jump into the cultural influences and so on and so forth. So Will, if you wanna just tell us about what the movie was about, and then we jump in here. Yeah, definitely. So a pimp, a drug dealer, and a prostitute. Ah, you thought I was gonna tell a joke there. It does sound like a joke. Uh, However, um, <laughs> oh, despite its levity, this is no laughing matter. This trio of racially inspired archetypes who are brought together by a series of uh, mysterious undertakings are actually the heroes in this brilliant and thought-provoking tale in which the U.S. government has been attempting to clone influential black people for decades in order to further an agenda that promotes and is beneficial to non-melanated people uh, and them being po uh, prosperous. Notably, the films in Ode to Black Exploitation movies with a yep. twist of uh, notable modern influences like Justin Peel's Get Out, um, Aaron Magruder's Boondocks, and also Undercover Brothers starring Eddie Griffin. And I'm pretty sure yep. that you could list a plethora of other uh, uh, primarily quote-unquote black movies in there. Um, but nonetheless... Those are the tent poles that I felt um, were major inspirations behind this movie. Yeah, and yo, and I love how you reference like the black exploitation movies because you know we talked about this a couple like maybe a couple weeks ago. One of the mm -hmm. reasons why I didn't initially watch it was because I thought it was like a black exploitation film. Same and here, man. As it turns out, that wasn't what it is, right? And it's really. It's really clever, and it, it reminds me of um, the movie. I know, like, I think last week's show, we talked about The Spook Who Sat By The Door, right? Mm -hmm. yep. And Sam Greenlee, who wrote the book, The Spook Who Sat By The Door, and also also directed the movie, 
said that when he was making the film, which I believe was put out by Miramax, he gave them a rough cut that just showed a bunch of action of mm -hmm. like, you know, people shooting and like, yeah. he said he did it in the style of a black exploitation movie because that actually helped it to get put out. Then when people mm -hmm. saw what it was actually about, which is yeah. a story about, you know, a black guy who infiltrates the FBI and then uses that information <laughs> to form a gang to fight against the government, it got taken out of movie theaters in like two weeks later, right? <laughs> and then uh, Robert Ta Robert Townsend, right, it's crazy. And then Robert Townsend actually brought the movie back. And I used to have it on DVD. I don't even, you know, nobody even has DVDs anymore. But the I point did. with all that is like, oh, you do? You have yeah. a DVD player? And it yeah, works. Yeah. I got three of them. One in each wow. room. Really? Okay. Well, that, that's a sidebar. We don't... <laughs> really? Okay. Well, we're not getting into that right now. But really? Okay. So look. Anyway, <laughs> definitely black exploitation movies um, is a is a part of this. You said Get Out, hundred percent. Undercover Brother, sneakily genius movie. Right. Mm -hmm. Sneaky. That's not even a word. Um, I also thought Tales from the Hood. Also yeah. is a is a little bit of uh, inspiration for this, um, Night of the Living Dead, yep. Hustle and Hustle and Flow, mm -hmm. Pimps Up, Hose Down. We're gonna talk about that a little bit later, <laughs> and and of course and of course, no black conspiracy theory movie would be complete without some reference to the Tuskegee Experiment. Oh, no right? doubt. Which no is doubt. like all through any kind of movie like this or like get out so yo a couple of things man let's let's jump into like some of the cultural things here um i got a couple of notes so right from the beginning right the movie references a conversation a conversation from a liquor store about michael jackson and tupac right <laughs> and i'm always thinking like you know if there's are there two black people who have more conspiracy theories connected to them than tupac and michael jackson like for real, like black people, we just like three years ago decided that Tupac really isn't alive anymore. <laughs> or living in Grenada. Like I I remember that. Like Cuba for one minute. Cuba, right. It was Cuba, it was Grenada. Um, and Michael Jackson, I'm still convinced thirty percent of our people think that he actually had a skin condition that caused his face and everything to turn that color. That's it. That's it. So it was just interesting that like they start with that. So right from the beginning, you knew they were just gonna go in on it. Then so what I also would be like, the uh, white equivalent to that though, man. Elvis and uh, who else? I know the Asian equivalent is uh, Bruce Lee. See, every, every culture's got one. So you jumped right in with the questions right from the beginning. Um, all right, let me think about it because there's there mm -hmm. is there's gotta be one of a conspiracy theory that's connected to somebody yeah. isn't it jfk aren't there like a million conspiracy theories oh, about yeah, jfk yeah. about who I, really killed him yeah. you know yeah, all yeah, that's yeah. it's like what? five movies and a documentary just came out like two weeks that's ago. right that yeah that's right that's right maybe maybe that's what it is all right um yo let's talk about the cast real quick because i know that that this is uh, yeah this that's, is that's, something you loved here yeah, I was going to say, man, that's uh, right up my alley because I'm always intrigued by those who are participating in bringing the story to life. Uh, we got definitely um, kudos to John Boyega, who stars as Fontaine, the main character, as well yep. as Old Fontaine, Tyrone, and Chester. Um, his Ray! portrayal... 
<laughs> CJ and I were talking earlier today during the pre-production meeting, oh. and uh, uh, CJ managed to rewatch for the umpteenth time the uh, recent, uh, I guess you could call them, you can't even call them like the prequels to the prequels or uh, sequel, maybe the, the sequel the trilogy. Sequel, sequel trilogy. Yeah, the sequel yeah. trilogy. <laughs> and nonstop, all you hear is John Boyega screaming, it's the such whole a waste time, of his the, the whole movie. Of his talent. And we're going to pick up on that in a second. So I'm sorry, I interrupted you. So yeah, John yeah, Boyega. No worries. Yeah, so we got John Boyega, Tiana Paris, who she is magnificent in this. Her portrayal of Yo-Yo is stellar. And of course, we have Academy Award winner Jamie Foxx as Slick Charles, even though I want to call him Sir Charles for some reason. I don't get it. Um and then we also have uh, the impeccable Kiefer Sutherland as mm -hmm. Nixon. Now, if that doesn't jump out to you, great folks, man. great man! Wow, yeah, and great and man. I don't want to give too many spoilers, but let's just say that he is a believable racist. Um, <laughs> if you would if you would tell me that Kiefer was like on some like KKK David Duke kill all the black people. I'd be like, yeah, I can see that. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Kiefer. His name is Kiefer. And his last no, name this... is Southerner. You know what I mean? Like, uh, oh, Southerland. Like... Yo, this is the thing that's funny about that, right? No, so man, we it's Southerman. About... It's Southerman. Southerman. <laughs> I, I thought it was Kiefer Sutherland. No, his real name Southern is Southerland, but I'm I'm making fun oh, of his yeah, name. Oh, I got you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I call him a Southern man. But, um... Yo, the, funny thing about, the funny thing about him as a believable racist is that when I was watching the movie, I never felt like he was out of character in it. Like, no, he was just really good. Like, yo, George Clooney couldn't have played that role. It just wouldn't have been as believable, right? For some reason, Heather Sullivan, I still learned, I'm buying, like, okay, yeah, you got a bunch of black people chained up under a city <laughs> for experimentation. Like, sure, okay. I, what's the next scene? Like, it was like, it made, it made sense to me. But go ahead, though. His, he was shooting a revolver, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, right, who does that? that? You know what I'm saying? How like, just, it just makes me it's think, a very, like, it's a personal it's, weapon. Like, you yeah, gotta so, really, you know what I mean? yeah. like, it was a family yeah. heirloom. My grandpappy had this. You know what right, I mean? like, exactly. Exactly. Um, and then, exactly. of course, we have uh, Mr. David Allen Greer, who worked with uh, Jamie Foxx on Unliving Cover, uh, excuse me, Unliving, mm -hmm. In Living Color. Um, and then we have uh, J. Alphonse uh, Nicholas as Isaac, uh, Tamborella Perry as Biddy, Eric Robertson Jr. as Big Moss. That's the uh, rival drug dealer to John Boyega's mm -hmm. Fontaine. Uh, Trace Malachi as Junebug. That's his young boy who uh, resembles, uh, reminds him, is similar to his uh, uh, deceased uh, uh, younger brother. Um, yep. Leon Lamar as Frog. That's the old head in front of the uh, bodega that solicits uh, the daily uh, swig of uh, malt liquor, 45, Billy D. Mm -hmm. Williams, Coke, 45. Um, and then last but not least, Sharif Earp as, uh, it, it's such a shame, they didn't even give him a name. He's known as the guy on the crutches. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess every movie has their court jester. And well, Mr. Earp, he just happens to fit that bill in this particular uh, show. Yeah. So there's so many things, right, that are in this movie. So it just it's just like a, a cornucopia of different kind of conspiracy theories and just things that like 
are part of like I would say like black culture. So one of the things I thought was interesting is like the idea that Fontaine is a drug dealer, right? But he's broke, right? <laughs> yes, like his his house is terrible. <laughs> There's limited lighting. When you when he walks into his house, there's a whole wall that's just drywall that hasn't been mm -hmm. painted, right? And it immediately made me think of two things. One, hustle and flow, because yeah. uh, you remember my man from that. What was his What's his name? Uh, that was also in Empire. Um, oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He reminds me of a friend of ours. Um, he also played uh, Rhodey in yeah the uh, first the first uh, Rhodes in uh, Terrence Howard. Terrence, Terrence Howard, Howard, yeah. So it reminds me of Terrence Howard, which, you know, hustle and flow. He's a pimp, but he's broke. Mm -hmm. And then it also made me think about in Freakonomics. So there was a story. So the book Freakonomics, there was a chapter where they went and they were hanging out with a drug dealer in Chicago. And mm -hmm. he, they followed his life, like the money he was making, everything. And what they figured out was that based on how many hours he was working and the risk that he was associating with doing the work, he was essentially making as much money as somebody working at McDonald's, right? Mm -hmm. And this was like after like a full economic breakdown. And it's just funny because like Fontaine is like out here hitting people with his car, right? <laughs> Shooting people, beating up pimps and everything for money. And essentially he's still broke, right? So it was just interesting like that idea of like what that is. Um, the idea, like, so there's a scene where Yo-Yo um, is talking about cryptocurrency and blockchain. This is also mm. something that's really popular. Like, every, I mean, I'm sure if you have Instagram and you've ever typed in the word Bitcoin, you are then introduced in your algorithm to 5 million messages about people saying how you this particular coin is going mm. to go to the moon and then you're going to become rich, right? Which is a very interesting kind of thing. And she even goes on to say cryptocurrency is a bubble, but blockchain is how she's going to make money. And it's just mm -hmm. like an interesting little thing that's a part of like, I've been in conversations with people who've told me that, who've told, said mm -hmm. like, you know, they're going to get rich by blockchain. So it's just an interesting thing there. Um, I also thought the part where they're in the phone, they're in the car and um, music is playing and the music is depressing them. And mm -hmm. Slick Charles makes a comment about how I hate this song because the song yeah. is like, it's like make you sad or something, right? And it made me think about um, RZA had, had a book years ago. I think it was the first book, The, the Tao of Wu, right? Um, I think that's what, you, what it was called. In the book, he talks about when you make um, certain music at a certain frequency, not only does it kind of have an impact on the listener, but he was also saying it had an impact on the actual rapper that was rapping mm -hmm. over the track. And the example that he used was um, uh, on the Watch the Throne album with Kanye West and Jay-Z, there's a song called The New Day. And if you listen to that song, it's sonically different than the rest of the songs on the on that album. It doesn't, the beat doesn't change and it's not the same really upbeat, up, upbeat kind of tempo. And on that song with Jay-Z and... Kanye West are rapping about is what they want to see for their sons in the future. Mm -hmm. So it was like, it was just interesting to me to think like, ah, okay, that was like a pretty, pretty dope reference um, there when they brought that up. Um, the last thing, it's a, it's a bunch of, bunch of things in here, but the other thing that I was thinking, and like, since we're talking about rappers and, you know, I can't, I'll never pass up a chance to <laughs> rap. Uh, 
to rep my favorite my favorite MC here. There's a line um, in the Nas song Purple, right, which was on the Lost Tapes album, the first Lost Tapes joint, um, where he says, um, "Where I'm just going to break down the lyrics. He goes, where they used to stand at, somebody's taking their place. A younger man, perhaps, hand slaps, can't understand that. Same walk, same talk. I wonder, can that be possible? A thug dies, another steps inside his shoes. And it's like, that's essentially what's happening here. What you see is that they are cloning people with the purpose of keeping a certain level of chaos and dysfunction in the black community. That's the Glenn. Just yeah. as a reference, from the very first time I watched the movie, that Nas song hit me and it reminded me of that. And just like the idea that, yo, we see that every day. You know, you see that mm -hmm. in every hood, every project somebody's somebody's running it or somebody's out there they something happens the cops get them they get killed somebody else is doing the same thing the next day yep it's just it's just an amazing thing man so those are some reference points i saw what were some some of the references that you had uh from this well, joint well just off of your last statement alone the imagery of one person being eliminated whoever that may be the drug dealer king kingpin whatever the head honcho shot caller was the movie um boys in the hood where um towards the end once they shoot uh what's his face while he's laying on the ground and he's kind of resigned to his fate after previously begging um fast forward trey and doughboy aka ice cube and uh kuba jr uh, excuse me kuba gooding jr he says uh who knows next thing you know they're gonna smoke me and there's so much foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the next uh, the next uh, exchange is, Doe, you still got one brother left, man. And then it, John Singleton puts, oh, yeah. And then after he buried his brother, uh, Ricky, uh, he was dead, I think, like 12, 13 days later, some uh, minute amount of time. But the point was, you know, one person comes, he's there for a minute, then he's replaced due to him being... Uh, murdered, um, and then the cycle repeats itself. Rinse, wash, repeat. Um, another couple of movies that also I would piggyback upon are uh, Hollywood Shuffle, Robert Townsend, uh, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker, Green and Ivory Wayans. Great one. Um, <clears throat> yep. Eh, I, I couldn't, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention those because those are hallmarks. Um, not only were they... Uh, uh, the driving force in black culture, but as well as the worldly culture. And that's not coincidental because um, whether it be through any means of entertainment, i.e. sports, music, acting, et cetera, et cetera, um, black people are at the forefront. We invented jazz. We invented hip hop. We invented rock and roll. We invented R&B. We inv invented uh, any genre, every and any genre. We've invented it. Blues, um, soul, funk pop you name it um and that's that's the thing that i wanted to discuss in a little bit more detail towards the end um but in the interim i'll say major themes that i've noticed in this movie were controlling controls autonomy government activity unity conspiracies stereotypes and caricatures capitalism race classism and self-determination which would be in line with the spirit of kwanzaa in about two weeks um How about but that, nonetheless Chef? 
Oh yeah, definitely. Shout out to Kwanzaa and especially to Christmas, even though I don't partake per se in the sense of going to church, et cetera, et cetera. I like the spirit of it, gift giving, uh, commemorating time with, excuse me, family and loved ones and those who aren't here. Um, I even get down with Kwanzaa and, uh, excuse me, Hanukkah rather I was referencing because you're, you're really talking about communion, um, and not what you take as far as in a church, but rather the spirit of coming together and family expressing their love and gratitude for one another. But yeah. in this movie, the family we're talking about is black people as a whole being bamboozled and con. Um, and I don't know, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting about, um, so it's kind of interesting reference, right? Like when you run some boys in the hood, it made, you know, the death of Ricky in boys in the hood is like, the, oh, it's like, it's Everybody. like something that everybody remembers about that movie it was so it was so sad and it was just expertly done by john singleton in that movie um so when you brought that up it just made me think about that also like hollywood shuffle and i'm gonna get you sucker great reference points also for this really creative way that both of those stories use humor while making mm -hmm. a very like serious point you know, like well, that's both comedy. of those movies. Yeah. Well, yes, very true. That is what comedy is. And it, it's just like, it's just so well done. It just blends in to the background. And there's like, there's definitely things that, that this movie does with that also. So, yo, let's get into, let's get into the cake, man. Let's get into the cake. Cause we got, I got a couple of things that uh, I want to shout out. I know you do too. So yeah, one definitely. of the, so, <laughs> so one of the first things Yo, that I, I just loved about this movie was, um, yo, shout outs to the 1986 Players Ball Pimp of the Year, Slick Charles. <laughs> like, I just, <laughs> I just think that that's just like a great, this is a great reference point because every time you mentioned that, it made me think of Pimps Up, Hose Down, which was an HBO, docu <laughs> HBO documentary. And no, 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 it you're was not like, doing it right. I, you got to paint the picture of what time it came on. How often it came on? It came on like, what, like started... eleven o'clock. Eleven o'clock. Yeah. But this is back. Yeah, this is back when HBO would only show yeah. like certain things and certain. Yeah, times, the right? risky like stuff was eleven late. to like eleven to two. Right, eleven to two on yeah. Fridays and Saturday nights. That's when it would come <laughs> yep. on. But this was like, yeah. yo, this was a series, man. They did like four <laughs> movies yeah, about man. the lives of pimps, and it's like. Yo, this brought us like Mr. White folks, <laughs> like all, all those pimps. <laughs> like, yo, Pimp Don Magic Wand, he oh, started yeah. on the, these things, right? Mm -hmm. So I just I just love that as a reference point because it fits so much with the Slick Charles character and the mm -hmm. idea of like a pimp who's really on his last leg. So I dug that. Um, some more cake I got for the grainy, the, this is from a cinematography part, the grainy filming of it. So it's yeah. like, I don't know if they could have used like really sharp camera work, but they didn't. And it gives yeah. it like a 1970s kind of feel, which I thought just made it really authentic. Uh, I also love the scene where the first time Fontaine gets killed and he wakes up, the screen is kind of like flipped upside down and then eventually yeah. it right sizes. It, re it reminded me of in Black Panther when Killmonger first takes over the throne he mm -hmm. walks into the scene and it's upside down. And then when he sits down, it's right side up. And this is kind of the way of letting the audience know that everything is upside down right now. 
and that's like your first as the as yeah. the as the person watching it's your first time realizing that something is crazy um yo for the super super cake because i got super cake for this one uh two <laughs> two two things that i would put for super cake one is the idea that in this community the glen the operation is being ran out of the chicken restaurant the church the strip club and the beauty salon mm. and how those four things any black community fortunately or unfortunately those are like yeah. the staples of the community and the idea that in this movie those were where they had the most of their mind controlling and altering product available speaks to a sort of a, a interesting kind of understanding and a common understanding of like black culture right because like even when you watch that you may be like like i know for me i'm like ah oh, that's kind of stereotypical yeah. but a stereotype is actually based on some degree of truth right truth. so it's like yeah. so that it's not devoid of that and what you see in those places it's like yeah that that makes sense unfortunately so i like i like the fact that they weren't afraid to lean into that like super cake wise lean yeah. into what does what do these institutions mean to the black community and mm. are they beneficial like are they helping are they not helping are they making a difference are they not you know obviously with the chicken shack and the strip club is kind of easy but i yeah. think when you throw like the church in there, then it makes it, the conversation is a little different, right? It makes you ask some different questions, which I got a question for you about that a little bit later. Um, I'm gonna put your black card in jeopardy with that one. The last, <laughs> the last uh, slice of super cake I would have is, I love the idea of them cloning the like influential kind of people. So they have clones mm. of, slick charles they have clones of fontaine they have clones of the pastor it just makes me think like you know we've all heard like the oh kanye west is a clone now gucci main is a clone now it's just <laughs> kind of funny because like we like that's like common things that are said on the internet all the time and it's like mm -hmm. no one ever says like oh why why would they clone that person <laughs> like they're like no one ever says you know like barack obama's a clone like no one ever says like no one ever says like people of that. It's always like these <laughs> these odd kind of one off things. And no no disrespect to either of those brothers, but it's just like this is an interesting thing, like that black that in twenty twenty three, the idea of people being cloned is like such a concerning thing, an element to our people, and that they they dig into that uh concern in this. I, I really love that. So that's my cake. What you got, man? Oh man. So Allegory or fact? Oscar Wilde opinioned in the essay, The Decay, excuse me, The Decay of Light and Observation, quote, life imitates art far more than art imitates life. So we have in this, in this movie, we have this story of these three main characters. Uh, again, just the recaps, Slick, Slick Charles, Fontaine, and Yo-Yo. And you would think that they are from the dredges of society. I mean, they don't have positive occupations, um, but they are so pivotal in, in the driving force behind what takes place. Fontaine, he's on his usual daily grind. He wakes up. You don't see him take a shower. You don't see him brush his teeth. 
nothing that most average people do. Nope. First thing he does is go to the bodega, get his 40, takes a couple of swigs, in the midst of doing his little scratch-off thing, he knows he's going to lose. And CJ touched upon this in the pre-production meeting. You have a greater chance of getting struck by lightning, yet we continue to play the lottery. If you took that dollar each day or whatever it is you spent and you saved it and then you put it into just a regular basic savings account, you think about how much money you would have after a decade. Say you put it into a Roth IRA. Well, I don't know if we're ready for that conversation. Wait, because... wait, Will, Mr. Mr. Will, wait, why are you giving him financial advice? <laughs> that's what I was just saying. I don't want that's to infringe on financial podcast. That's that's <laughs> a different wait. That that we not ready to do that one yet, man. Just, just, this is this is movies, man. That not money, movies. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, I forgot my bad. Um coming soon though to a theater near you. Um, but nonetheless, so he gives uh frog that's the old timer who's sitting in the front and isn't it funny that uh they use him as a symbolic uh barometer of the movie in between him being kind of sort of like odb and being mischaracterized and being a caricature like odb he drops jewels and you have to read between the lines and he was telling fontaine that there was something going on in the town but it was mm-hmm. dismissed as just drunken gibberish. So he pours yeah. him a little bit in his cup and he goes upon his way. And he runs into Junebug. That's his young boy who resembles or reminds him of his younger brother. And he puts him down on what's going on around town. And he tells him that one of the rivals has moved into his territory. And he's like, oh, word? Okay. So he drives down, has a, a little brief, uh, quote unquote, meeting of the minds. When, I, I, when reality, all he does is drive his car into his legs, breaking his legs. And then he goes about his business after giving a severe warning to him to tell Big Moss, hey, don't come on this side of town. Manages and ends up in uh, Slick Charles's neck of the woods in his motel. Uh, I forget the name of it offhand, but he ends up in his motel. Excuse me. And he's in the midst of witnessing a discussion if you will it's an outright argument where yo-yo is threatening to leave etc etc um and sir charles excuse me slick charles is looking for the money um in the midst of playing games i don't have it uh come back next week let's bargain what can i give you um he eventually acquiesces gives fontaine the money and fontaine shortly leaves thereafter upon getting the funds while he enters in his car though uh, the funniest thing happens. Like most drug dealers, he ends up getting shot and he ends up dying after receiving multiple gunshot wounds. And just when you think that's the end of the movie or you're going to be introduced to someone else, et cetera, et cetera, like a, a revenge killing, whatever have you. No, surprise, surprise. Uh, and yes, this is a spoiler. Um, Fontaine wakes up in his house, in his room, as if nothing happened. In between... Those scenes, though, you're seeing uh, uh, unknown gentlemen, you'll see legs at first and arms, dragging Fontaine's body, his lifeless corpse. And you're wondering, wait, is this a dream? How did this happen? Um, I think just that segment right there, that solidified me like, oh, this is nothing like the uh, trailers that I saw. The trailers I saw were 
Jamie Foxx carrying a golden revolver, leading a bunch of other pimps and drug dealers throughout uh, bodegas. And they end up walking to a, ref a walk-in refrigerator stuffed with more 40 ounces. I think that part really threw me off. So like CJ mentioned early on, um, I wasn't even going to watch the movie. I, I was led to believe that it was something that it wasn't. And then I got switched for the okie doke. And I think that is what drove me to say, oh, all right, I'm definitely going to see how this plays out and, and what are the uh, forthcoming developments. So you're saying like basically the surprise direction of the movie is what was like the major cake for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, that was the opening though, because the movie was full of twists and turns. It kept me on my on the seat of my pants. I wasn't able to anticipate, uh, like I would in most cases, what the movie not only what the movie was about, but what was going to happen next. Mm -hmm. And then what about the? I know you also. I know one of the things that we both talked about we really loved was the ending. Oh and, man, uh, what you really liked, what you really liked about uh, the way that the ending is handled. Well, before we even get to that, I just want to shout out the fact that CJ had mentioned the way that um, the mind control had permeated throughout the, uh, not only the consciousness, figuratively and literally, but also in all of the food, hair products. I mean, think about how many times you enjoy a, a, a bowl of cereal. And when you're younger, you're probably eating Frosted Flakes or Cocoa Puffs or Fruit Loops. Um, but if you ever take a time to look at the ingredients on the box, it's usually got some chemical compound that you can't even pronounce. Sodium dichloride, phosphate, yellow number seven, red flirty, like all these things in there. And you never wonder at that age, at least, what it is that you're putting into your body. Little do you know, it's setting you up for a vicious cycle of doctor visits, cramps, <laughs> uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, uh, you name it, you got it. Um, and then the thing that like really is like, uh, the, the, the tipping point is the fact that, um, each one of these products spoke to our triad of heroes for, uh, slick Charles, when they do finally reveal that, oh, there's something going on underneath the Glen, he says, it ain't snow, but I can still ski. And he sniffs this unknown oh, powder yeah, and he, yeah, yeah. he goes, yeah. I, he goes crazy. Like he yeah. doesn't have any type of recollection as to what's going on. He's not in control of his bodily functions. Um, yeah. uh, with respect to the chicken, which is where you're really introduced to what's going on. I think everybody can harken back to when there was this media blitz of this, uh, new Popeye's chicken and everybody was going crazy. And there was even a, uh, satiric chicken sandwich. Popeye's yeah. chicken sandwich. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. People were standing in line for it. Stand that was lines uh, all day. That was that was 2019, right? That was yes. pre-COVID. Yeah. Pre yeah, I remember that. I remember and that. And for yeah. people of our generation, the the closest thing I can think of that is when McDonald's had the uh um burger McRib. that came in well, not only the McRib, but there was a burger that came out in the white styrofoam, uh, and it had lettuce, lettuce, tomatoes, and uh, a patty. And you could they they tried to promote it as you could make your own burger, and um, you were online forever. And then the other thing that McDonald's did real well was the introduction of the chicken McNuggets with the holiday sauce, because that's when they introduced it around like eighty three, eighty four, and the holiday sauces was like some cranberry oh, stuff man. and some apple joint. But the, the point in tying it together with this movie is 
we had literally guts. We were offered the scraps or the worst parts of the pig when we were slaves in this country. And we managed to turn it into soul food. Lobster at one point was not even a delicacy. It was looked at as basically a, a, a sea cockroach. And somehow, some way, you'll now see um, these memes on IG of people wanting seafood and spending countless dollars on ordering oysters or whatever have you, like that female uh, down south who ordered like 47 oysters and the guy was like, I'm not paying that and walked out on the date. The point that I'm referencing is the madness that's associated with food for better or for worse throughout the black uh, throughout the black experience. And yes, we are not a monolith. However, these things do have a commonality where you can go into any state, any city, and you can find the same things. A liquor store, a church, probably a gun store, and a nightclub slash strip club all in one. So the vision is you go to work Friday night, you go out Saturday night, you go out, and then Sunday you repent it all and go to church, and then Monday, rinse, wash, and repeat. Mind you, the thing that really capsulizes this and pulls it all together, though, is uh, my my third, I, I guess, super cake, as CJ was saying, which is the ending <laughs> slash reveal of the villain. Like I said, I'm thinking the villain is Kiefer Sutherland. No, 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 no. It's not even close, because he says when he has all of the uh, black people under a trance, a la via the white DJ saying, you like that music, don't you? Now go get those three. And they chase them as if it was a uh, thriller video and Attack of the Bass Heads all in one. That was, a thriller. That was a thriller video, video. That is exactly what that was. Yeah, and Night of Living Dead. Hmm? Yeah. yeah. And they're chasing them. And all of a sudden, Kiefer Sutherland comes out of the car and... um. I didn't know that that was John Boyega, to be honest with you, that was driving the car. Like he was old Fontaine, yeah, yeah, chauffeur Fontaine, who I thought that, yeah, who I thought that was. And this is for all the people who watched uh, Black Lightning on the CW. I thought that was the the guy who came back to life. Um, I'm forgetting that gentleman's name, but I'll remember it. Um, I thought that was him, but nonetheless, I'm thinking, okay. Now we got Kiefer Sutherland in a familiar role when he plays a villain, someone who is articulate, uh, demonic, uh, witty, uh, menacing. No, it's not even close. He says, no, the real person pulling the strings, he's even worse than me. Fast forward to the, to the, the ultimate reveal, and you have the older version of Fontaine. Now, mm -hmm. I was not expecting older version Fontaine to be a scientist who basically says, look, assimilation is better than annihilation. And so everything that I did, I left you with just enough memories to be the catalyst behind oh. why this program is going to be successful. Yes, Kiefer Sutherland's character, Nixon, does tell him, hey, look, if I get rid of you guys, They'll just be gentrification and a Starbucks will be here. So I can't do that because I want to finish yeah. these experiments in peace and relative quiet. So we'll do just enough where we'll have the drug dealer, we'll have the pimp, we'll have the prostitutes, we'll have the preacher, um, and they'll be our vehicles by which mind control will be implemented. But the real puppet master is you, Fontaine. 
you are the one who are, excuse me, who is implementing this devious plan out, not just here in the Glen. The Glen was like ground zero. No, this is spread throughout the entire United States. And the ultimate reveal is, hey, Tyrone, ain't that you on TV? As he's seeing all of these other individuals, clones walking around aimlessly and and butt naked. That looked like him. Yo, so this is the thing, man. I didn't even think about this before, but is the old Fontaine's name Fontaine? Is his, his name Fontaine too? Do they ever tell you if that's that's the case? They do or? not reveal his name, but at least I don't recall. But when I looked up yeah, the I don't, credits, I don't remember. he's listed as Old Fontaine. Okay, so Fontaine is the name. Okay, cool. That's interesting. So maybe Fontaine in the Glen is the proto clone, yeah. mm-hmm. and Tyrone out in California is like, you know, yeah. the the two point the two point oh three point oh version. But it okay. also ties right. in with the uh, Erica Badu song, so there's yeah. no coincidence. Yeah, no, nah, it's yeah, right. Another good reference point. Yeah, they, yeah, and actually that's dope because at the end of the movie they play the Tyrone song. Mm-hmm. She sings that joint. So yeah, that's yep. that's a, a little bit of a modified version, but yeah, that's there. All right, so um, let's get into the the things that we didn't like. I don't have a lot from this to be honest with you because I really I just really enjoyed this movie. Yeah. Um, so these are like two nitpick things, admittedly. One is that, and I look. I, maybe I'm getting old, so I, that's a possibility. But, <laughs> but it's like I just felt like in the there were certain scenes in this movie where everything was just so dark, and it's like the scene where they're in the when they first go to the trap house with the first elevator. Yeah, I feel like I couldn't see anything in the house really watching it on my TV, and then when they're and later on in the beat when they go down to the whole underground facility, there are parts of it where I feel like it's very dark. Now, I watched this on my TV, and then I tried to watch it on, like, an iPad, too. I still had the same problem, so I think that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's the Other people might be like, no, CJ, your eyes are just old. <laughs> okay, fine. So be it. I'll own that. Cool. Um, that was one thing. So look, here's the thing, right? You mentioned the character. This is my, last, my other thing. So here's the thing. You mentioned the character of Frog, right? Yeah. And you did something that was kind of interesting. Like, you equated Frog with ODB. Mm-hmm. And when you did that, it made me not want to say what I'm about to say, which is, <laughs> yeah, I like I liked ODB, man. Shout outs to ODB, the old dirty bastard, because there was no father to his style. That was the man, right? Osiris. Yo, right, right. Yo, remember, remember the first joint, man, where he had his food stamps card mm-hmm. on the CD cover, man. Yeah. Return, return to the 36 Chambers, the dirty version. That Jones was dope. that was a classic. Anyway, yes, it was, man. Shout out, shout outs to him and the ancestor, right? Russell Jones. Yes, sir. Um, I didn't like Frog though, right? And I kind of wanted really? I was like, God, I didn't, man. I wanted I wanted Fontaine to hit Frog in the head with that bottle after a while because <laughs> the character was so annoyed. <laughs> and the way that you're saying it now, you're acquainted with ODB, it's making me like rethink it, but because nah, he was wanted, dropping jewels. Like he he was literally yeah, telling he him was. what's going on in code. Yeah, like, there's something going on no, in the absolutely blend. right. 100%. 100%. You're right. I just hit him with a bottle. I didn't like it. All right. Did you have any? Did you have anything that you didn't like? Any, like any, CJ, uh, this is just any, nitpicking. Any yeah, it's just nitpicking. It's not really hate. Um, I'm wondering what happened to Fontaine's mom. I mean, all you heard was the voice behind question. the door. 
And I had an uncle, Uncle Bubba, yeah. um, who was kind of like that, you know, very recluse. Um, you didn't really see him that often, but unlike this movie, you did eventually see him. So in the movie, you know, I'm that was the vibe that I was getting, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, he says, Mama, I really need to see you because he's showing his vulnerability. He's in a very tough spot. He's questioning. You know, he's having a breakdown. And he kicks in the door um, and he says, you know, what in his head? What? What's going on? What is this? This is a box. This is what my life's been, you know, mm -hmm. basically consisting of. Um, so I'm just wondering, like the same way you mentioned with the Marvels, you know, why couldn't they just say, hey, there's... That was a wild night that you threw out your wife out the the loading dock into outer space, you know, like, like something to, you know, bring home the point that, yeah, this is what happened to his mom. So I'm wondering what happened to his mom? That's a good question. And yeah, I mean, it just, yeah, it's a good, I think, I think that that scene was really about giving John Boyega the chance to demonstrate his acting chops. The question is valid, but I think that was the point of it. And I got a question for you about that. So, we're so it kind of humanized him, is what you're saying, then, as far as yeah, not and, seeing him solely as a drug dealer. Yeah, but okay. I think it also is about like John Boyega. We we want to show, we want you to have a chance His to show range what you can too. Do it. Yeah, exactly. The range as an actor. Yeah, and then what's the what else you got? And then the, the yeah, and then the, uh, I dislike. My next thing is. Uh, why does Sir Charles live in a motel? I mean, <laughs> you're supposed to be a pimp. Come on, play it. That's not yo, how we do it. Yo, yo, this <laughs> is the thing, man. It what's, what's obvious is Slick Charles is not good at his job. That's what it's hard out here. It's hard out here for a pimp. It's hard out here. Hard out, right. That's what it is. Like he said, like he even says, like pimping ain't what it used to be. Like he tells no. you, it's not. It's like he can't. He's not good at making money. He can't get orange juice. Like he like. The whole thing just doesn't work for him. So it's a bite from so, yeah, uh, so Dave Chappelle that. for a minute. Is pimping easy, CJ? No, never. Never has been, <laughs> never will be. That is correct. <laughs> that, that is that's correct. Ding! That's correct. <laughs> All right, so so look, so we're into the questions, right? You asked a couple. I got a couple for you. So let's go. We'll go back and forth. I think yeah. I got three. You got three. Right. Yes, sir. And we're gonna get it. We're gonna go. You know, we're gonna risk risk our black cards on these questions. So, all right. The first one is simple. Um, yo, did Jamie Fox have a script for this movie, man? What when you, you mentioned this before, I was like, hmm. But now I'm convinced. No, he did not. He ad libbed too much of this because, as you alluded yeah. to, his yeah. delivery. Yeah, man, I don't know anybody's writing for Jamie like that, man, with the way that he's calling out beige people. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was like, you know, his, his, his comeback on things, you can't write that down, man. No. He, or, he's like, he might have said, Jamie, this is you in the scene. Take. Yeah. You know, he just yeah, it gave him some groundwork. Like when they were in the elevator. Okay, Jamie, we're descending into the pit. Go. Yeah. How about them? How about yeah. that? All right, so that's that one. All right, what you got for me? Ask me one of my, my one of the questions you got. Do you believe that black people are cloned, literally and or figuratively? Damn, that was the opening question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So here's the thing, man. I think that we have reached a point in this in this in our society where 
social media has allowed people to create a certain image mm -hmm. that can be replicated and copied over and over again mm. and used as the example of whatever it is that you want to be right. to the extent that um, I do think not necessarily a clone in the sense of what's happening in this movie, but yeah. definitely a cloning in the sense of a loss of authenticity mm. and a loss of variety of, of um, presentation. So okay. I do think that that's a certain, a definite issue of um, what's happening, not only a black community, I would say for the world, because you know, what's interesting and it kind of gets back to what you were saying before about like, the different genres of music and how mm -hmm. that's created by our people is how, because of how much like, and I'll, I'll use hip hop as an example, has become so integrated into society. Mm. Everybody kind of knows the same songs. Everybody yeah, yeah. kind of knows the same dances. Everybody kind of knows the same thing. And social media, the 24 hour reel of that yeah. in your hand all the time, yeah, it makes the cloning process much easier. Mm, so, I like that response. All right, so I'm going to question number two. Um, this is about, okay, so, you know, we talked about this a little bit, man. So Tiana Paris is in this, John Boyega. Mm -hmm. I see them in these movies. I'm like, wow, these people got amazing range for what they're really yeah. doing from an acting perspective. You know, months ago, we talked about Oppenheimer. Robert Downey Jr. was in there. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. That also very successful in the Iron Man movies, right? Yeah. But in this movie, we see Tiana Paris, who's also in the Marvels, right? Also in uh, WandaVision. John Boyega in the Star Wars sequel movies where mm -hmm. all they let him do was yell, Ray! Like, <laughs> three movies, right? So my question is, like, why do we not see this level of range from these actors in these science fiction comic book movies where their ability as actors would lend and add depth to the stories and the characters. Um, I think it's just based upon the writing, man. I really have to believe that. I don't think that they're giving much to work with. Um, there's only so much you can ad lib. Uh, there are so many restraints as far as individuals uh, leaking the script, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that a lot of stuff gets left on the cutting room floor. Um, and you might have some great scenes uh, that display yeah. that these individuals were worth uh, the recruiting process, et cetera, et cetera. But um, due to the, I mean, and writing strike aside, I think that we witnessed in the latter half of the, uh, what, phase three, four, yeah, around, around the end of three, beginning of four, we started to witness uh, some of these uh, actors not being able to fully display their talent due to the lack of uh, credible writing. There it is. So the writing is the issue. Okay, I can see that. That's um that's interesting. Cause I just I did just read read an article where Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Mark Ruffalo were saying something very similar to what you're saying about their time in uh, as Marvel actors. All right, what's your question? <laughs> Number two, I'm coming with: Are black people their worst enemy? <laughs> okay so <laughs> here's what i'm pause. gonna say is this well because here's it's it's like uh 
I think in a way that question that you're asking is an underlying theme in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why it's such a good question to ask. Yep. And it's and it's really interesting because like the fact that old Fontaine is the quote unquote big bad is really yeah. kind of interesting in that whole mix. Um there's certainly without question a point in history where black people were being obviously physically oppressed. Yes. Right. Where the enemy was much more tangibly the slaveholder or the certain country where those people were coming from or Jim Crow laws or the KKK. It was very easy to determine kind of what the what the uh, enemy was. Of course. I think what's happened, I think what's happened in the more modernized version of racism is that it's become much more mental, psychological, and reinforcing such that now the mentality of the enemy is within you all the time. So there are ways of thinking, ways of behaving, ways of value system development that works counter to the formation of a sustainable, strong, independent black community, which society has imposed through various different levels, the education system, what you see on TV, you know, it just gets into everything that's in, you know, Francis Cress Welsing's, you know, domains of racism. It's all there, right? But mm-hmm. her work is really about psych- psychologically what that does to you. And then as a result, psychologically, that's what's in your head. So yeah. Like all things, you know, the enemy outside isn't isn't as dangerous as the enemy inside. Mm-hmm. And for our people, I think we have unfortunately taken on the mentality and the ethos and the thinking and the behaviors of an enemy that now makes you where you your move your thoughts and movements and actions are counterproductive to you. So what's the answer? Are we the own worst enemy? Kinda. <laughs> kind of, but <laughs> kind of, but there's layers to that because there is a certain social programming that's happening and reinforcing. Yes. And you're not, you're not like, um, you're not able to be a victim of that or to claim victimhood of that because everybody knows that that's a po- that's a, what's going on, and you have the ability to get free. Like nobody is like stopping you from like getting freedom, right? Freedom of your mind freedom of your spirit, freedom of your body, actually. You know, nobody's, it's 2023, like, you could move anywhere mm. you want to. You can go to somewhere else if you feel oppressed. So there's a lot of things to that. So I'm a yeah, victim, I, brother. I, yeah, even your conditioning has been conditioned, right? <laughs> so anyway, all right, that's my answer. Um, all right, here's, since you, since we're like, we're putting it all on the line. All right, here's my <laughs> one for you. My third and final question. All right, so there's a scene where they're talking to Frog, right? Who like bottle Frog? Who they say with a bottle? <laughs> so they ask, they say to Frog, which so Frog says, when you want answers, you go to church, right? Mm-hmm. And the first thing they say is, which church? Because there's ten churches in mm-hmm. the Glen. So, well, my question is, why does the black community have so many churches and liquor stores? Wow. 
And you thought my questions were tough. Um, well, one, I'll say this. In every town that I've been in, when they say, are you going to church? Typically, there is one church that's synonymous with your town. Um, okay. So my, my family, um, my mom was Methodist. My grandmother's a Baptist. That's on my maternal side. My dad was a deacon um, um, in a Baptist church. Um, and then once they left my parent, my grandparents' houses, respectively, um, we literally were brought up in everything. So I've been to synagogue. I've been to mosque. I've been to Catholic churches. I've been to Kingdom Hall. You name it. I've been there. And, and I hated it. I ain't going to lie. I hated every bit of it. Going to everything. I didn't, I didn't think that's what you were gonna say. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> but what kid wants to be in dress clothes on a Sunday, sitting still, hearing about something you have no idea? That's fair. Um so with respect to why these things are are there, I would have to go from a historical standpoint and say that um throughout our time when we needed inspiration, when we needed to communicate when we needed to gather together and reveal certain things specifically about running away or destinations or giving hope or, or just communing marriages. Cause we were married during slavery. Um, the tradition of jumping mm -hmm. the broom. I think these churches that are here from a, from a positive aspect or, or a pro aspect still mimics those traits, those actions, those, that thought, process as it did back then having all these multiple churches they were the places of education they were the places of, of bringing about revolution um but i am not looking at this with just rose-colored glasses there is also the element of you know the preacher being on par with the con man with the pimp um and jamie fox's character as the pimp is the one who does this the symbol of the cross when they're about to go down into the escalator inside the church uh, through that walkway. So I didn't think that was coincidental. Um, I do recognize mm -hmm. that, you know, there's always the church plan. I mean, excuse me, the church that's under construction. My grandmother's church, um, First Baptist, was always under construction until they actually built the new church 20 years later. Um, so you can only imagine, you know, for the longest they're collecting all this money and then you know, throughout it, there were scandals <laughs> of individuals running off with the money. So I'm not, so I'm not blind to the fact that, you know, there is exploitation and, um, you know, it kind of runs contradictory where you have men who are supposed to be pious and the last shall be first and the first shall be last and things of that ilk. But um, I think that it's duality that it exists not only in man, but in church, even though in the Bible it says the church of God lies within man. So, hmm. so that's why. So the church. So okay. So the church is like, I get that. Actually, that's dope. I like that. So the the, the church is like an important institution in the black community. Obviously, it is. That's not yeah. even a question. And as a result, there should all oh, there's there's so many of them. Yeah. I get it. All right, cool. I like that. I like that. We would we would be getting into a whole nother oh, yeah, no, podcast definitely. all together if we we went into that. That would we'd have to get that's a, whole a different podcast. podcast. 
yeah, that's a whole different podcast altogether. All right. Um, all right. So yeah, let's get into the where where oh the popcorn. All right, so we're up to the popcorn yes, part sir. now. Um, so I'm gonna go first. So this, and I'm just gonna say this. Like, I really like this movie. I highly recommend it. I think if you haven't seen it, you know, Netflix and chill it. Maybe actually watch it though. Don't don't do all the chill. Don't chill too hard. But um, <laughs> Netflix, it definitely it's it's a it's a good watch. I'm gonna give this four and I'm gonna give it four and a half boxes of popcorn. And you know, like we're talking about it in pre-production. The only thing that I would say with this joint is that for the genre where it is, which is movies that deal with like sort of important elements of black culture and kind of approach them from like a different way. This movie sits slight smack in between get out and um, what's the joint? Uh, it's supposed undercover brother. Okay. <laughs> no, no, not that one. It's, it's, <laughs> no, not that. That's in a whole different, different it sits right between <laughs> Undercover Brother and Get Out. Where Get Out is like the, you're funny. Where Get Out is like the real serious, like in like kind of under like digging into like black mm. people and what is like, what is modern racism kind of thing. And mm. then Undercover Brother does it, comes at it at a different kind of angle. This is like right in the middle. I think all these movies did a good job with this. This is four and a half because if I think about it, Get Out for me is a five. So I buried the lead because I guess one day if we do get out, I got to remember that it's a five. But that's it. So I'm giving it. I'm giving it four and a half. Four and a half boxes for they clone Tyrone. Oh, uh, what you got? What you got on the popcorn boxes for they clone Tyrone? I too am going with four and a half. But before that, I have a question for CJ real quick. Do you think assimilation is good or bad? Quote unquote good. Quote unquote bad. 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 Next question. <laughs> Man, not even, not even playing that. I'm not even playing that game with you, man. Look, so, all right, let's go to the deeper meaning of the movies. <laughs> On to the next thing. All right, so, um, deeper, deeper meaning, deeper meaning of the movie. Um, so I think this movie is about really self-destruction, which is like, I think why your question about, you know, like who is the, who's the worst enemy of the black community or are black people their own worst enemy mm-hmm. is a, is a apropos question because I think that's what the movie is dealing with in the beginning, the people and even the clones see themselves as isolated individuals and because they see themselves as isolated individuals. They're willing to exploit each other for whatever the modest material gain looks like. And you see that with slick Charles, you see that with, Fontaine, you know, there's just a lot of like exploitation that's happening within the community by members of it. There's also this um, question of people seeing things that are wrong, but not doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a scene where Kiefer Sutherland basically says to them, like, you can't just go home and pretend like you didn't see any of this right. and go back to your lives and doing what you were doing. And, you know, let's keep it 100. Like we do do that, right? Like in the, in our community, we, see stuff wrong and a lot of times we don't deal with it we don't do anything about it about it and it makes it 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 causes things to be even more dysfunctional right but i think like at the end there's a switch that happens and a turn 
where yeah. the people like in the Glen do start to care about the people underground and they even care about the clones and they band together to free or liberate everybody. Right. And I think that is also getting to this message of, you know, to love yourself, love of self is love of the community. When we feel individualized, when we feel separated, we exploit each other and we take advantage of each other. When we feel connected, when we feel we have a mutual responsibility to take care of each other, the community gets stronger and we don't allow ourselves to be uh, marginalized, exploited, experimented on, killed, all these things that happen in the movie. So I think that's the not so subtle message and uh, that's something I really dug about it. I dig it. So man. what you got for what you got for the message in the movie? Shout out to William Catlett. That's the gentleman from Black Lightning that I thought was the actual driver for Nixon, Kiefer Sutherland. Um, I got another very obvious uh, tone. And rather than eloquently speak like CJ was with a thorough breakdown as to why that is, I just wanted to run off some things that I think will touch a nerve with individuals and it will require some uh, perhaps exploration, whether inner or outer, on the individual. First one is this. Marvin Pence Gay Jr. saying rhetorically what's going on. James Joseph Brown Jr. in an effort to reassure others exclaimed defiantly, I'm black and I'm proud. There was a referendum in the court of public opinion announcing black lives mattered as if that statement needed to be read. Virgil Brent Jackson Jr. once said, black people are too resilient. Hmm. I can name countless individuals and events, slavery as a whole in this country, Jim Crow, Nat Turner, Tuskegee, Henrietta Lacks, Redlining, El Haj Malik Shabazz, Tulsa, Emmett Till, Rosewood, Denmark Vesey, Michael King Jr., and the endless and countless lives that have been murdered by the police, and not just in this country, but worldwide. Black Twitter, which is in itself a, a weird term, continuously talked about black excellence. <laughs> Paul Gladly, Gladney once said, everybody want to be an N-word, but don't nobody want to be an N-word. Trey Songs crooned how many times Styles P rapped on his song, I'm Black. Whether I'm rich or poor, through it all, it's the same, I'm Black. Even though my skin's kind of light, that means my ancestors were raped by somebody white. I'm black. So I like mm. to sing, dance, and crack jokes, eat good food, and be around black folks. Sort of like the holies on Sundays, drink all night and still go to work Monday. I'm black. So I like <laughs> my kids looking real nice because I've been poor and I know what it feels like. I'm black. And I'm going to say it loud like James Brown. People be proud because we all up in the game now. I'm black. I can definitely speak to that uh, enthusiasm. Like Nas said, God painted me black. Thanks for that. I'm an original man. I couldn't have it any other way. Ups and downs. Doesn't matter. Like The greatest gift that I've ever been given is the fact that I'm black. So with that Mind being drop. said, so with that being said, um, another story that uh, I believe speaks to 
uh, the courageousness that exists in all human beings on this planet is the story of a gentleman by the name of John McClain. Um, I think uh, we'll be revisiting that sometime, what, next week, CJ, where uh, we all wish we could say yippee ki You fill in the MF. rest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, first, man, yo, mic drop on. Um, Mic drop on the the Styles P lyrics, man. That I'm black joint is uh that's a classic. But that capsulizes what the movie is about. It does. It does. Now it's a perfect it's a perfect reference point, man. And we didn't we didn't uh, mention the director. Oh um, no, Joel oh. Joel Taylor. I think this is his first movie. Um, but he's yeah. a he's a writer, co writer, director. Fantastic work, brother. Like putting this together. We really yeah, enjoyed no. it, and it's something that we've highly recommended. Yeah, definitely. Um, not only on the show, but also to all of our friends, too, as well. Um, so, like, as you said, man, yo, we're into December in uh, in where we are, and so that means we're getting to the Christmas time. Die Hard is a Christmas movie, allegedly. We're going to test that theory <laughs> out. Uh, next week, we'll be back with Die Hard. Um, once again, the Sticky Floors podcast is available Wherever you find your podcast, we are on Apple. We are on Spotify. Please like, subscribe, comment. Your comments help us to do this better. And we will see you next week. Peace.